Would you turn with me to James chapter 5, where we were last week in verse 13, James 5 verse 13. Lord willing, this is the second to last Sunday where we'll be in the book, in the letter of James. So we get close to the end of this letter. I pray, I long for there to be a reality that's marked in faith church that the young people you teenagers right now, you who are still in high school or maybe just got out of high school and below, that you would find prayer to God, one of the sweetest realities that moves you to pray and cry out to God more and more every day throughout the day. You young men in the front row and young men and women throughout this church, scattered throughout I pray that those that are watching online, because you're at home for various reasons, that you will learn to love and treasure the gift that God has given you in prayer. I pray that the seniors of our church would continue to and even double your efforts in holding this church up in constant intercession prayer for all the people and all the members of this church and all of the needs. I pray that the prayer that Dan just prayed would be ringing, would be the echoed throughout our congregations and in our homes and in our commutes this week as we cry out to God. God has given us the gift of talking to him and praying and he promises to hear and answer and do above and beyond all that we could ask or think. And the mark of growth of holiness in this church is when we are becoming a people who cry out to God with joy and at, in sorrow, with confession and in praise all of the time. Christians ought always to pray. And because we're sinners and sufferers, but Jesus has died for our sins and forgiven us and redeemed us, sinning and suffering Christians ought always to pray. Look at the text that we're at, verses 13 through 18. James writes, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it would not rain. You find that in 1 Kings 17 through 19. 
Elijah was like a man like us. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three and a half months, or three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Friends, this is God's word. It is for us. Sinning and suffering Christians. That's what we are until we die. Redeemed sinners. Rescued sufferers. Ought always to pray. And what do we pray for? We pray for forgiveness, confessing our sins. We pray for deliverance. We pray with humble dependence and devotion to a powerful prayer hearing God. And in this passage, James calls us to pray. He calls us to pray as individuals, and he calls us to pray by calling the elders, and he calls us to pray by praying for one another and confessing our sins to one another. And as I began last week, I shared with you in this passage, there are four ways he calls us, or four kinds of prayer that we are to pray. He's calling us as a, God, a people of God to call out to him day and night. The first is we are to pray as individuals. You see that in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Christian, let us pray. Hear the simple command to pray. Always pray. We pray to a father and we pray to our Father in Jesus' name. We learn to pray when he, just like the disciples said, teach us to pray. We pray, hallowed be your name, your will be done. And I call out to you and we rely on the Spirit of God. We are to pray as individuals. You go home and you pray and you pray tonight and you pray in the morning. You pray on your own. He says, if you're suffering, pray. And we find another kind of prayer. We pray the prayer that are to happen with the elders. And so in verses 14 through 15, he says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call. Not we should doesn't say we shouldn't go to a doctor, and we should. But we should first and foremost have this mindset: God is my greatest need meter. And I think that in this context, someone is very ill either physically or even mentally or spiritually in a bad place, let them call the elders, the shepherds, the pastors of the church, because they are the type of people that they should rely on, will be first and foremost praying for them and caring about their spiritual well-being. And these elders are to come over to their house and they are to pray over them, anointing them with oil as a picture that they belong to God. It says, anointing them in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I said this last week. Sometimes sickness is related specifically to your sin. And God intends for us in the midst of our sickness to cry out to God and say, God, I confess my sins to you. Psalm 32 that I started with, David said his body was under attack because of his unconfessed sins. And as he confessed his sins, God forgave him, restored fellowship to him, and was, he was delivered. I say, sometimes... 
And sometimes in his sovereignty of God, you may be in the path of obedience and he afflicts you and he is expressing his love in a different way. And we will see it in the time to come because he's drawing to you and he wants to glorify his name. This passage implies that we are to be part of a church. And in being part of a church, we will call elders to come and pray for us. The third kind of praying is we are to pray for one another and with one another. I think it, it assumes. In verses 16, look there. Verse 16 says, it assumes that we should pray with and for each other. We, we find here, he says, that therefore confess your sins. Therefore, because prayer is powerful, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. I'm going to speak more of that, and that's a big part of what we're going to look at this morning. And then lastly, we are to pray Maybe this is a different kind of prayer. We are to do all these kinds of prayer, prayers with a simple and confident faith. He says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. He's going to say, I want you to know power is in prayer. because Not because prayer in itself is powerful. It's because God is a prayer hearing God. And he has commanded his means to work in the world is through you Non-powerful people call out to a powerful God who hears and is accessible to us. And he loves to answer the prayer of those who trust in him and depend on him and call on to him in his faith. James wants us to know this because he starts this letter when he says, If any of you lack wisdom, ask God, but ask in faith and not divided. Not divided in heart where you're like, I want to serve God, but I want to serve myself as well. And then in chapter 4, he's going to say, you have not because you ask not. You don't ask in prayer. And, you, and then he says, well, you might ask, but you ask wrongly because you, want, you have wrong motives. You just view God as like a, a genie in a bottle. And you, prayer is the way of opening up the bottle and asking God to get what you want for your own selfish desires. He says, that's not how we pray. But he's going to say here, but prayer is really powerful. And the prayer of a righteous person, that doesn't mean self-righteous person. It doesn't mean a holier-than-thou, do-gooder, or an elite Christian. It means someone who has confessed their sins to God and is right with God through Jesus Christ. Is Yes, knows his sin knows her sin, but knows God's grace is so great, and he calls out to God. That righteous person's prayer is really powerful. And he says, and take Elijah. He's the great prophet of God. And you say, what, the great prophet of God? I can't be like the great prophet of God, Elijah. You know, the guy, the guy that healed that boy from the dead, really raised him from the dead, the widow's son, the, the, the prophet who allows the widow to... At least prays and ministers to the widow in such a way that she keeps on getting provision. This is the, the great prophet who stood before all of the prophets of Baal in the midst of a pagan kingdom of Israel. And he called down fire from God and taunted the wicked prophets and showed that God was faithful and God was real. That prophet, I can't be like that prophet. And I think James wants us to stop back and think, but you know, he was of the same nature as you. Old Elijah 
had ups and downs, and during his downs, he looked up to God and said, God, I wish you would just take me. He wanted to die. He was so depressed. And he says, this Elijah has the same nature as you, and God heard his prayers because he relied upon God and stood on the promises of God and trusted in God, and so can you. He just prayed that it wouldn't rain in, in obedience, in, in response to God's promise to judge sin so that the people of Israel would wake up to their rebellion against God. And then he prayed that it would rain in order for God to show his might to the people. And God did. He simply prayed. Oh, may we simply pray. May we simply call on the Lord. Now, I want to, in this sermon, give you four implications for what I think this means for us as a community at Faith Church of Linden. Or whatever community, if you're visiting, whatever community of church that you're part of, here they are. Number one, we must embrace a praying community. I see that in these verses. You find here a praying community. Each of us, each of these statements I'm going to give you is about embracing a community. And embracing, I mean committing to and submitting yourselves to it with all your heart because that is the environment in which God has called you to survive in the Christian life and thrive in the Christian life. It is, it is to be in a relationship where the body of Christ prays for you and you confess your sins to one another so you can obey these verses. And so that you can, I'm sick and why would I not show my weakness and yet my dependence by calling the elders of the church like the New Testament tells me to, would you come and would you pray for me? And if God wills, he will heal me and and he will deliver me and help me. But in anything, I need your help, God. And I'm going to call the elders of the church. You need it, we all need it, and others need you. You are a fellowship with the fellow being believers in Christ here at Faith that has been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You are together in Christ Jesus. The people that you just took communion with, God has brought you and tied you together and knit you together in order to be a praying community. This community, a praying community, is filled with individuals who pray. Individuals who learn what it means to have a prayer closet. And what I don't mean that literally, though it might mean it literally. You might literally like the one mother who didn't ha- had an unused shower, and so she turned that shower into her prayer closet because it was the only place that she would not be distracted from all the children, and she would go there and she would pray unto God for, child- for her children and for her family and for her church and for others. It means that we learn to wake up and we pray. We learn to get up and we learn to go to God. We learn to go to bed going to God. We learn to say regularly, Let's pray. As a member, you have committed in your church covenant to pray for one another and to cultivate Christian sympathy, it says, in the covenant. 
We should use our church directory to pray for each other, even if you don't know one another. And we are to pray, use a prayer app like Prayer Mate or get cards and index cards and write all prayer requests. Come on Wednesday night and pray, but we are to pray individually. And a godly praying community starts with a bunch of individuals who pray on their own. And so they pray on their own and they're praying for each other. But, and I see that in this text. I see the implications of that. When they're suffering, they pray. When they're cheerful, they worship God, but they're praying. And a prayer of, is a praying community prays individually. They commit time to pray. They pray intentionally. They pray with perseverance and persistence. They don't stop praying when something doesn't get answered because they cry out to God. And they pray in the name of the Lord, God, your will be done. And a praying community prays together during prayer meetings, on Wednesday nights, in life groups, in Bible studies, on game nights, meals, activities. Let's pray is the heartfelt cry of a community of prayer. As you're wrapping things up, finishing your conversations after church today, and you're hearing about that week, and you're hearing about somebody's frustration or struggle, hey, let's pray about that. Yeah, let's do that. We see a praying community. It's a praying community that in some situations we call the elders. Elders who better be, first and foremost, praying for and calling is one of their major ministries of their life as praying for the flock. Us elders must do that. But when you call us, in which I hope you will call us, you actually have a bullet. If you came in here, I don't have it with me. You should have received one of those folders, a bulletin we call it. And inside the bulletin on the bottom, and I think on the right-hand side, there is a list of the four elders of our church. It has our email and our phone numbers, our cell phone numbers. You can text us or email us or call us, and we would like to come and pray for you if you request that in obedience to this passage. So when you're sick, especially in a, a heavy way, and there is not heal, it hasn't been healing, you want to call us, we call us. When you're overwhelmed and you need prayer for godly elders and leaders, I pray that we will be that for you, and we will come and pray and anoint you in the name of the Lord. Psalm 65 is, I love this, verse 5, verse 2, 65, verse 2, the psalmist says, oh, you, he's talking to God, who hear prayer. That's how he labels God in that phrase. Oh, you who hear prayer. God hears your prayers. God answers prayers. He doesn't always say yes. He sometimes says maybe, or he sometimes says maybe this, or he says wait Sometime later, but keep seeking me and listening to what I have for you in this. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are toward their cry. We are to be like Elijah in this passage. We are to pray earnestly. That word praying earnestly is praying he prayed. He simply, there's a simplicity. He just prayed. He really cried out to God. And we are to obey our Lord when he said, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. 
And he says, all of this in summary says, because as an earthly father, you're a sinner, you're an evil person compared to God, and you give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good things to those who ask him? All in the context of him teaching, but learn to teach, learn to pray, God, your will be done. Not on earth as it is in heaven. So one, we need to embrace a praying community. When I say that, ask yourself, what must I do to be part of that? Pray for this community. Pray that we'll be that. I think one of the marks of answered prayer will be more prayer in this church. Second is, we must embrace a confessing community. This is kind of new, and this is really strange and special, hard and awesome in a church, rare and yet a rare jewel when God allows this and brings this about in a people because it is his work in us. A confessing community. There is a presumed community in this, these verses, verses 13 through 18, that is a confessing community. Elders gather around a sick person when they call the elders to come and pray. And if possible, uh, they, so they come and and they inquire, and how are you doing? And they inquire about a confession to the Lord if there's anything unconfessed. Because you see in this passage, he says, and if they have sinned, the Lord will forgive them. I think there's a presumed that, hey, I'm not presuming that your sickness is because of sin, but I just want to ask you, are you right with the Lord? Can we talk to you about your soul? Can we, we want to encourage you in the Lord. We want you to be freed in the fellowship of God and we would ask these kinds of things, and, and so there is a pursuit of confession. Proverbs 28, 13 is a verse we need to get to know. Whoever conceals his transgression, whoever hides it, will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. If you're a Christian, I want you to hear this. If you have really been saved, you have been forgiven all of your past present, and future sins, which were so heinous to God the Father that they required his son's death by crucifixion. And you are now his child, and he will never let you go. You are always, even when you're sick because of sin, you are always in the place of his absolute love and care. However, as a Christian, it is necessary to confess our sins, not to maintain our salvation or our sonship or daughtership before God, but in order to maintain a joyful fellowship relationship with him. Friends, brothers and sisters, you will continue to sin as long as you live. And although the pattern of your life should, by God's grace, be manifest by growing awareness of that sin and acknowledgement of that sin and confession and repentance of that sin, but when you sin this week, when you speak harshly and speak out of anger, when you are rude, when you gossip, when you lie, when you lust... When you steal, when you don't 
Take the opportunity to actively love like you are to love. Your sin hinders your fellowship with God. And while your position as a child of God remains absolutely secure and untainted by your sin, there is a break of fellowship. Nothing will separate you from his love as his child, but your sin will keep you from enjoying his fellowship that brings peace and joy and communion with him. And that is why sometimes God in his mercy will even afflict us with trials and even sickness in order to restore us because he loves us and he wants us to have true joy in him. God desires fellowship with us to be restored. And he has designed the avenue in which he does that is by humble and honest confession of our sins in Jesus' name. 1 John chapter 1 says, but if we walk in the light versus the dark, instead of the darkness, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, he's faithful and just to his promise to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are to not confess to God our secret sins to the Lord. Many of our sins will just be between you and God, and you need to just on your own call out to God and confess them. We are to acknowledge them and make no excuses for them. We are to remember that God has forgiven you based on what Jesus did on the cross, not how much you pray or how long you pray or how long a period of time goes that you started to do right again. That doesn't make you more right with God. He does it through the grace of God and Jesus. And we are, to con- we are to count on it. He forgives you in Christ. We are to confess these, we confess our sins and believe that he will do that. Now, there's another kind of confessing to one another though, And that is when you have sinned against someone in this room or in your home or at work or in school or online, maybe you gossiped or were angry or you you offended someone. And Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 5, if you are worshiping, and I think the point, the principle will be whatever you're doing, you should be praying every day. If you are offering your gift at the altar, imagine you're going to pray this day like you do every day and throughout the day, and you remember that your brother has something against you. Your brother rightfully could say, he did this against me. She spoke this way against me. He says, leave your gift at the altar. Stop and go and be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. thinking about this for me often at the home in my home with my children and my wife often for me that means that I find myself often speaking with an angry tone or an impatience that has disrupted my fellowship with my children in such a way you lose sound my son Paul is actually at the soundboard We went red here. That was interesting. Okay, where was I? Oh yeah, confessing my sins. I find myself often 
upset about a situation, that maybe I need to be concerned about a situation, but my anger or my tone or my way, my jumpy, hasting, jump, I was jumping to conclusion and being hasty in my conclusions, and I have to come and realize I sinned against my son or my daughter in the way I spoke. This is what confession of sins will look like when we're with someone, someone we've sinned against. We name the offense. Son, I spoke to you out of sinful anger when I was talking to you. We are then to call it what it is. We don't make excuses for it. We don't say, I just wasn't myself. No, I was myself. I was my sinful self at that moment. It was a sin. It was wrong. That was a sin that was not the righteousness of God coming out in me, son. And then we should express, if we can, with sincerity, our sorrow. It grieves me that I spoke that way to you, son, or to my wife. My words were impatient. That tone was unhelpful, and it was wrong, and would you free, and will you please forgive me? We are, to, we are to make, unex, we don't excuse ourselves, we acknowledge our sin, and we confess it to God, if it's to God, and if it's to others, to others. Now, what does James mean when he says, so confess your sins to one another? I think it means that when we've sinned against someone, we confess to that person. We need to do that. We need to have short accounts. Keep clean accounts with one another. Your spouse it starts with. And then within your home. And then within your church or your work. We should not live in existence even in a church where I have something against her. She has something against me. And we just leave it as that. Because we're just going to be mad at each other for the rest of our lives. We do not, we're not allowed to go there. We are called to forgive and to reconcile. Another kind of confessing of our sins, I guess, could be this. Sometimes when we're struggling from being freed from our past sin or a present sin or guilt because of past sins, we may need to seek the help and encouragement from a fellow brother or sister in Christ in this church. And we may need to confess our sins in prayer to God or with that person and have them help us confess, not because that other person is a priest. You might come to me and confess your sins, but I'm not your priest. I'm going to just have to point you to Jesus for confession and sin. But that might be a helpful time of humility and an expression of dependence and confession to God. Because when you do that, it requires a deeper humility often. And it can often result in a deep freedom, a depth of freedom and permanent release of guilt if the humility is real as you come confessing to the Lord for the forgiveness of sins. And if you've confessed your sins, He forgives you. You don't have to keep asking Him to forgive you. And if you still feel guilt after you've confessed your sins in Jesus' name, and you know with your head he's forgiven you, but you're still struggling inside, you might, it might be for the following reasons. Maybe you're minimizing the cleansing power of Christ's blood. That he has cleansed you totally. 
and removed your sins. It's complete. Or maybe you are regarding your own judgment as superior to God's judgment. He has judged you as righteous now and forgiven. Or you're putting your sin at, on a pedestal and focusing on it instead of on God's forgiveness. Or you may be believing the lies of Satan at that moment that you're not forgiven rather than accepting and trusting in the promises of God. Or you haven't yet done what Paul tells us to renew your mind with truth and you need to renew, renew your mind with his promises. And maybe you haven't yet accepted the fact that God is sovereign over your life, even your past sins, and, and he can turn them for good. And so you do not say they're good or, or say, I'm excused because God's going to turn them for good, but I have repented of them. I have turned to Christ. He has forgiven me, and I trust that he is going to even use my bad in the past for my good and for others because he's just so good. A confessing community will mean this. It will mean that we will commit to confessing our sins to the Lord and sometimes to each other. And it will mean that we'll submit ourselves to people who will help us. And from time to time, they're going to help us in some special ways to deal rightly with our sins. And we're going to be people who will listen and be ready when people come to us and to listen with humility and wisdom truth and confidentiality, in other words, with maturity, which leads us to the next point, and I have two more that I'm going to quickly give you. Number three, we must embrace a gracious community. Now, all of this implies something really important. If we're going to be a confessing, praying community, something really important. I'm sure some of your defenses are up when you say, being a confessing community of my sins to one another in a congregation, especially those who have experienced the horrors of broken community. Many of you have experienced the pains of confessing your sin and your struggles to someone else in a church, another Christian, and you were ignored, you were gossiped about, you were judged, you were preached at, you were thrown out and shamed. The type of community that embraces prayer and confession is the kind that is rooted in the fertile soil of the gospel of Jesus Christ that produces a gracious community. The, this community knows the gospel, which means they know we are sinners and that God has been gracious to us. We will say, yes, it is sin, and it is bad, and we don't minimize sin. But Jesus rescues, delivers, saves, and forgives. This community is kind-hearted and tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. If we confess because we have sinned, we must remind each other of that. If we have go to someone because they've sinned against us, we must be quick to ask for forgiveness. We must, when asked for forgiveness, be quick to forgive. The community that this passage assumes is immersed in and saturated by and transformed by the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And therefore, this is a community that is quick to forgive. 
It is compassionate and sympathetic. It is a community that will speak the truth in love. This community will not cast stones, but seek to point confessing sinners to the love and care that they have already received over and over again as a fellow repentant sinner. We as believers believe with all our heart that Jesus is a better Savior than we are a sinner. And we show it by our actions to one another. We imitate Jesus to others. So Colossians says, So as God's chosen people, be compassionate in your hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. The great love passage in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way or is irritable. It does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If we are going to have this kind of community, we need to be impacted by the gospel to the point where we are not... We are the kind of people that you'd want to go to when you're hurting because of your sin. And they'll point you to Christ and they'll forgive. They'll point you to the forgiveness and they'll show compassion and help and show maturity to you. The last point I want you to see is that we must embrace a believing community. I guess I just want to tie all these together. We pray and we confess. We show grace because we believe these truths. We believe, we are Christians. We believe the most amazing truths that the world should say. That is ridiculous. And we say, it's true. It changes everything. We are believers in God. This passage calls us to be a people of faith in God. The elders are to be the godly men that come and pray for the sick. And they offer the prayer of faith. As they cry out to God, God, I believe you in the name of the Lord. You can, and if you so choose, you will heal this brother, but you can forgive and do forgive all that repent and turn to you. The prayer of faith believes God's promises and is absolutely committed and confident that God will always do good for me and what's always best. And sometimes I'm going to have to live a life saying, It doesn't look best, but I trust him. We are to be a believing community so that when cancer and conflicts arrives in our lives, we are on our knees looking up to a prayer hearing God who we believe has our best interests in mind and he has not forgot. He is our, the sovereign over every cell of our body and all cancer and all sickness and all disease and all troubles and all discouragement. He is working all things for our good. We believe, and what do we believe? We believe a God who made promises to us. Do you know the promises of God and do you believe them? We need to be that kind of people. As we pray in the name of the Lord, this community learns from Elijah that the prayers of a righteous person has great power. The point is that Elijah was was not that he was great. He was just a man. He wanted to die, and God used him. God brings 
life from the dead. He brings in a desert rain. He is a God that is king of our community. And he has given us promises. And we believe the gospel and that God has saved us. And he is making us holy. He has adopted us as his children. We are his sons and daughters of God. We are his inheritance. And we are to be made like our elder brother, Jesus Christ. And he is working all these things for our good. And not one thing will he keep away that's good for us, for our ultimate joy. He heals our sickness and forgives our sins. And when he doesn't heal us immediately, he does it for our good. And though we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear not because he is with us. And we'll walk through the waters and the floods will come over us and we'll go up to the very neck of our bodies overwhelming us and yet he will not leave us. And we'll be thrown into the furnaces of life and the flame will not overcome us. Isaiah 43. Why? Because he has pledged himself to us. The God of the Bible through Jesus Christ who forgives us cares for us. He has, who is to condemn us if God has justified no one? We as a people may be broken, killed, tortured, persecuted, hated, and hurt. But as Paul says in Romans 8, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We trust in him. And if we remind ourselves of this, and we keep reminding of ourselves of these things, and we remind each other in this church, and we sing about these things in our church, like we're going to sing in just a minute, how he will hold us fast. Oh, that God would make us a gracious, confessing, praying community that shows grace and faith and belief. Friends, brothers and sisters, God welcomes us into this kind of community. This is not just far off and theoretical. It is what he intends to make here in Linden through people that live scattered throughout the region around us. A community that he made by giving us his son. And if you have not entered into the community by receiving Christ, First and foremost, please talk with someone here, or, or even in your seats, call unto him, you sinner. Confess and acknowledge to him what you have done, and cry out to him for forgiveness, and he will forgive you and save you. I welcome you into this family. I welcome you to Christ. We believe in his son, and he saves us and makes us his family. He gives us his spirit. He makes us his people. As the worship team comes up, and I invite them to come up, we are, we are going to conclude with a song of confidence, a, a believing prayer, a believing song that expresses truth to each other. So as you sing this, I pray that you'll sing it with conviction and with joy and with a a direction both to God and to each other. So let's be a praying, confessing, gracious, and encouraging 
believing community as we sing this song and, and remember, He will hold me fast is a message that we're reminding ourselves and reminding each other of this truth. Ponder these words as we sing. God, would you make this reality. Make us a holy, loving people. Make us a people that are praying and confessing, gracious and believing. Help us to obey these important and simple passages, verses from James. In Jesus' name, amen.